CRT, Critical Race Theory, is making a strong new push in Kentucky with a company linked to Biden's Attorney General Merrick Garland. Louisville has its annual Pride Festival, where at least the event organizers are willing to admit that most of their attendees have severe mental health issues. And finally, Bashir releases a new bipartisan Republican support ad and video in his campaign. We'll be covering all that and more today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. Of course, I'm your host, Andrew Cooperwriter. And please make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe. Additionally, as well, if you're listening to this on the podcast form, which is available on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, Pandora, and all other major podcasting platforms, please ensure that you leave a review and you follow the podcast. Also, y'all, word of mouth is our number one way that we are growing. And so please, I encourage you to tell others about the show. Ask them if they've checked it out. Send a link to the show to your friends, to your family, to your like-minded individuals, and tell them to give it a listen in order to stay up on what's going on here in Kentucky. And as always, please make sure you send me any kinds of tips, news stories, communications. You can send it to info at theandrewshow.com. That's info at theandrewshow.com. In fact, our lead story today was sent to me from a show listener, uh, and it was a to cover kind of the the issues going on with some CRT contracts that they noticed out of their local school board and then how that is connected to an overall greater state issue. They kind of sent the tips to me, sent some articles to me, and from there I was able to dig into it. So those types of issues can be covered. Uh, issues you think are important, just go ahead and email them to me once again at info at theandrewshow.com. However, of course, without further ado, let's dig into it. So remember CRT, critical race theory. Remember how we were told this was dealt with by the legislature. Maybe you remember back in 22, after session, your representatives coming back and thumping their chest, proclaiming they had greatly dealt with it. Well, that is actually far from the truth. You see, what the legislature did was they passed Senate Bill 139 in 2022. All that bill did was require certain documents to be taught in our schools, things like the Magna Carta, uh, things like Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. It did not actually do anything to address the teaching of critical race theory or critical race theory ideas. In fact, while that bill was passed, they were ignoring what was BR 69 that became House Bill 18. A bill request, 69, while it was still in bill request form, in the summer had a big to-do and a big hearing to cover and talk about critical race theory. But when it came time for session, this hard-hitting bill from Matt Lockett that simply essentially stated that in the state of Kentucky, no public schools would teach, or anybody who receives public funding, would teach that one race is inherently superior or inferior to another race. That was it. That was what the bill essentially said, but apparently that was too strong of a bill for our very liberal legislature. And so instead they decided what they could pass was Senate Bill 139 that did nothing to deal with CRT. And least you think I was the only one saying this, if you go back in the way, way back machine to early 2023, you'll find a op-ed from the Louisville Teachers Union boss laughing about how pitiful Senate Bill 139 was and how it satiated the frothing mouths of the Republicans who wanted to attack this CRT without actually doing anything or restricting the teachers at all. They loved the bill. 
And the fact that the teachers unions loved Senate Bill 139 should tell you just how little it did. So then everything went quiet because the constituents were told by the media and by the legislature that CRT had been dealt with. You see, even though the bill really didn't deal with CRT, the fact it had something slightly to do with the CRT thing, our liberal media made sure to jump on top of it and push it as a CRT dealing with bill and hope somehow it'd be stopped or to call Republicans crazy. But really what they did was is give the cover to the Republicans to maybe no longer have to pass anything stronger on critical race theory. And maybe that was the media's point too when they were pushing it. Then everything went quiet. But CRT is now making a comeback with a new company and contractor in our schools called Panorama Education. And in fact, Boone County Schools had recently uh, implemented some contracts from them dealing with uh, what Panorama systems are pushing. And so if you continue to climb into our way, way back machine, you may remember how back during 2021, the parents who went to school boards to speak out about critical race theory was labeled as a domestic terrorist. And perhaps uh, this was due to a financial reason. You see the people in charge of the DOGA, uh, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, was the one who was in charge of the department that was labeling people domestic terrorists. And as it turns out, Merrick Garland's daughter is married to the founder of Panorama Education, the CRT company. So clearly he had a financial interest, or at least his family did, in ensuring that these attacks on critical race theory stopped because, well, his son-in-law's business would be, well, out of business. So this group, this education group is already active in Boone County and has been operating in Kentucky and some other school districts for some time. Now, not only is uh, Panorama founded by Merrick Garland's son-in-law, but one of its main funders, Mark Zuckerberg. So what does this group actually teach people? Well, first, let's define CRT or critical race theory, because I know the lefties, they just love to claim we can't even define what CRT is, ignoring the fact that, well, we define it all the time to them. And when they do so, they fall quiet because they love to claim we don't know what we're talking about. But when we perfectly capture exactly what they're talking about, they suddenly realize that they themselves never bothered to find out what CRT is, or they'll call it a legal theory. And that is some of it. See, CRT is a belief that the outcome of a system or process is somehow racially different uh, along some lines. Uh, you're seeing uh, the outcomes fall along racial lines differently. Well, then the process or thing itself must be racist or the people operating it must be somehow secretly racist. And I'll give you a perfect example. And I'm sure we've heard before that math is racist, or maybe you haven't, but let me explain the thinking here. So if math is being failed by higher amounts by minorities, then, well, math must be racist. Now, clearly, this whole entire idea is racist. Uh, what it's doing is instead of looking at factors outside of immutable characteristics like your skin color that could actually be causing the issues, such as single parent households, 
you know, because what is more likely that they're failing math because they are a minority or they are failing math because they have a one parent household and that parent is either distracted working or just simply doesn't have the time to be as engaged as other households where there are two parents. And because of that, because of the busy parent, they don't have the time needed to address and teach a child math. That makes a lot more sense than simply two plus two is racist. But this claim that CRT makes is that skin color is causing it. And then they call what critical race theory ideas call for is essentially two different systems in order to fix it. A system that takes into account a person's skin color and then adjusts the scales going into it. Because somehow, for some reason, if two people have different skin colors, they can't be held to the same standard. That is a critical race theory belief. And this is also a soft bigotry of low expectations, a belief that because somebody's some sort of skin color means they can't be held to the same standard, higher standard of another skin color. It sounds like some of the greatest bigotry and racism we have going on in commonplace today, but that's what we have. The fact that you believe minorities need lower scores standards in order to get into Ivy League colleges or colleges in general, in order for them to quote unquote succeed and get into those colleges shows just how racist you are. The fact you don't think you can hold everybody to the same standard, regardless of their skin color is absolutely 100% incredibly racist. But going back to our math example, if minorities are failing math at a higher rate, well, then we simply need to create a different and new math system or standard for minorities. Well, they can't call these types of ideas and things critical race theory or CRT anymore. So they've decided they're going to invent new terms like SEL, social emotional learning, or DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, which rolls together CRT with LGBTQ. Uh, gender theory, equity, and inclusion, for an example. Inclusion, making sure that all the people feel like they belong, which simply that doesn't mean, of course, just creating a neutral environment. It means you have to create an environment where you affirm people no matter what. And equity, of course, isn't equality. Equity deals with outcomes, rolling together that critical race theory that outcomes is what matters, not equal opportunity. So now that we're aware of the terms, let's take a look at this Panorama Education Group's website. Let's take a look at their big survey. Here it is here. Their Panorama Equity and Inclusion Survey. This is the big old system and survey that Boone County and others have decided to use. See, they take the data learned from this, they upload it into a site, and then they help you make sure that your school is a better learning environment for all those children that haven't been properly indoctrinated. Let's take a look at uh, this survey here. So first in the survey, it starts off telling us about the research team. And the director of research here is a Dr. Samuel Moulton. I've thrown up a photo for those uh, who can't see it. Let me describe this guy to you. Uh, imagine a movie villain. You know, imagine there was a diabolical movie villain. Uh, a white guy, mustache, tall hair, white streak in the hair even, because, of course, you know, you got to have that evil white streak. 
Uh, skinny guy, mustache, very pointed features, kind of dick dastardly looking. Um, and imagine there was a movie about an evil villain trying to um, indoctrinate all children into hating themselves. That is exactly what Dr. Samuel Moulton, director of research at Panorama Education, looks like. Uh, at Panorama, this is from their website, he applies his expertise in educational psychology, research methodology, and statistics to projects that include survey skill development, SEL, social emotional learning, there it is again, multivariated and multi-level modeling, statistical inference, and data vis visualization. And this survey that he's set up, uh, it's a survey that groups give out, that these schools give out to both their teachers and their students. Let's take a let's take a little look. Let's take a look at this survey. Let's look at the teachers part of the survey first. Here's some questions from the teachers that teachers would answer now at schools like Boone County and other schools around Kentucky. Here it goes. It says, how often do school leaders encourage you to teach about people from different races, ethnicities, or cultures? How often do you think about what colleagues of different race, ethnicities, or cultural experiences? How, how often do you think about what colleagues of different races, ethnicities, or cultures experience? How confident are you that adults at your school can have an honest conversation with each other about race? At your school, how often are you encouraged to think more deeply about race-related topics? How comfortable are you discussing race-related topics with your colleagues? How often do adults at your school have important conversations about race, even when they might be uncomfortable? When there are major news events related to race, how often do adults at your school talk about them with each other? How well does your school staff speak out against racism? That's not all the questions. We have more. How easy do you find interacting with students at your school school, sorry, who are from a different cultural background than your own. How comfortable would you be incorporating new material about people from different backgrounds into your curriculum? How knowledgeable are you regarding where to find resources for working with students who have unique learning needs? If students from different backgrounds struggled to get along in your class, how comfortable would you be intervening? How easy would it be for you to teach a class with groups of students from very different religions from each other? In response to events that might be occurring in the world, how comfortable would you be having conversations about race with your students? How easily do you think you could make a particularly overweight student feel like a part of the class? How comfortable would you be having a student who could not communicate well with anyone in the class because of his or her home language was unique? When a sensitive issue of diversity arises in the class, how easily can you think of strategies to address the situation? few more questions here. How often are students given opportunities to learn about people from different races, ethnicities, or cultures? How often do you think about what students of different races, ethnicities, or cultures experience? And finally, at your school, how valuable are the equity-focused professional development opportunities? When it comes to promoting culturally responsive practices, how helpful are your colleagues' ideas for improving your practice? How often do professional development opportunities help you explore new ways to promote equity in your practice? Overall, how effective has your school administration been in helping you advance student equity? 
Interesting. Interesting questions for teachers. Obviously, the implication of such, because you're trying to, quote unquote, improve on these subjects, is that you want teachers, ideally, to be responding to those questions in the affirmative, saying that the school is very open to these things, so on and so forth, which is exactly the opposite of what I want a teacher to feel. I want a teacher to read through that and feel nothing and to not care. I mean, literally, the question is, how often do you think about race? That is pretty much most of these questions. How often do you care about somebody's skin color? Now, a proper non-racist person would say, I really don't think about it at all. But of course, that's not what they want the teachers feeling. That's not what they want them programmed to do. At least you think they're just coming after the teachers. This survey is also given to students. And here's some of the questions for them. How often do you spend at school with students from different races, ethnicities, or cultures? How often do you have classes with students from different racial, ethnic, or cultural backgrounds? At your school, how often do students from different races, ethnicities, or cultures hang out with each other? At your school, how common is it for students to have close friends from different racial, ethnic, or cultural backgrounds? How fairly do students at your school treat people from different races, ethnicities, or cultures? How fairly do adults at your school treat people from different races, ethnicities, or cultures? Those don't sound necessarily too bad on their surface initially. They're just asking simple questions about, do you feel comfortable around other people at ethnicities or cultures? You know, this test is supposed to be given to kids as young as sixth grade. And if I'm to be honest, my son is in sixth grade. And I think if I asked my son these questions, he would honestly be really confused because he has no idea. He's never thought, sat down to think about it. He hasn't thought about the races and cultures and ethnic groups of the people he sits with at lunch. It doesn't really cross his mind because I'm not raising my son to be a dirty racist. But these are the mild questions. Here's the next ones. How often do teachers encourage you to learn about people from different races, ethnicities, or cultures? How often do you think about someone of a different race, ethnicity, or cultural experiences? How confident are you that the students at your school can have an honest conversation with each other about race? At your school, how often are you encouraged to think more deeply about race-related topics with other students? How comfortable are you sharing your thoughts about race-related topics with other students at your school? How often do students at your school have important conversations about race, even when they might be uncomfortable? When there are major events related to race, how often do adults at your school talk about them with students? How well does your school help students speak out against racism? And finally, how well do people at your school understand you as a person? How connected do you feel with the adults at your school? How much respect do the students in your school show? How much do you matter to others at your school? And overall, how much do you feel like you belong at your school? Hmm. You know, nowhere in any of those questions did this group that is being paid literally tens of thousands of dollars by school districts all across Kentucky bother to ask a student about reading, writing, math, uh, you know, arithmetic, science, things they're actually supposed to be taught in school. Never was bothered to be asked. We have districts like JCPS, Fayette County Schools, districts all across this state claiming that 
teachers aren't paid enough, that there's not enough money for students, despite JCPS literally spending $20,000 a student, they are failing. They can't even bus kids to school and they claim it's because they don't have enough resources from the state, but then they're spending millions on ridiculous garbage and dribble like this and then cry about this. They cry about not having enough money for buses. They cry about not having enough money to teach the basic to the kids. But here they are wasting their money on things like this. How often do you talk about race with adults at your school? The answer should be zero. It shouldn't matter. If you're talking about race, it would simply be maybe about the civil rights movement and things like that. How often do you talk about racial events at school? You know, it's none of their business. Because these are political events, whether we like it or not, within those homes, each parent has their own political beliefs. And many of the modern day things going on surrounding race, your view on it, your input on it will come from what is the political leanings of your home. But this survey is indicating that schools and teachers should be working to push students to have conversations and, and, and talk about viewpoints from the teacher's viewpoint. They want the teacher to talk to kids about this because they want the teacher to be doing the indoctrination here. They don't want the students to only hear their parents' viewpoint on things, for parents to get to raise their kids how they want to with their values. That's not what they want. See, they don't teach kids reading, math, and all those other things because they're too busy spending our money on things like this. But now, this panorama group and their contracts, they're starting to talk to, they're taking their contracts and starting to talk to education committees in our state legislature. They're trying to get some hearings so they can implement this type of procedure statewide. If we do not alert our legislators and tell them to say no to say it, CRT. Say no to the Merrick Garland-backed CRT group or tied to CRT group. Say no to wasting our money on this and we and it will slip right through because they don't pay attention. They don't. They have no idea. They're going to sign off on Panorama uh, uh, Education, make their presentation. They're never going to come out and say, hey, we're training students to actually think about race, the precursor to making racists. No, they're going to happy talk it. And then our legislators will sign off on it and they'll spend our dollars backing a liberal agenda that is not going to help our students at all. Speaking of tax dollars being wasted on liberal agendas, coming up after this, Louisville has uh, a pride festival here over this past week and we'll be covering that right after this short break. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, so I guess an entire full month of festivals and parades and giant corporations changing their logos isn't enough worshiping for the LGBTQ religion in Louisville. In fact, that may not, uh, they may not actually be happy until Kentuckians are literally sacrificing their children at an altar to their religion, something they demand every day, anyways, when we don't allow them to chop the genitalia 
off children. I'm going to go over this festival, but if you're worried about the fact that you may have missed it, well, don't worry. Because if you're a minority gay person, uh, I believe this weekend in Lexington will be the Black Pride Festival, which is not uh, just Black Pride, like, you know, like more like, you know, like Black Panther type, you know, throw your fist up Black Pride. No, this is gay, I guess, Black people parade. So not only do we have an entire like month um, and other parades for Pride, we now also have festivals and parades for the very specific each group. I mean, when will we have the Asian pride festival and the, uh, you know, um, you know, let's get specific with it, right? Let's let Tibetan LGBTQ pride festival. Let's go country by country, not just race by race. I mean, what are we doing here? Right. I mean, basically it's been a whole two months since there was a pride parade in Louisville, a general pride parade. And they felt it was certainly time and they definitely needed to go ahead and get another. Because, you know, people just looking to be accepted in society, not just celebrated, but accepted in society are known for throwing bi-monthly festivals and parades dedicated to their fetishes and sexual proclivities. And there in Louisville, the Louisville Pride Foundation put on a pride festival, which, of course, your tax dollars were in fact spent on. And no, I'm not just talking about in the form of maybe closing down streets, providing security and whatnot, but also in many other ways. Let's go over who some of the Pride Foundation sponsors are and some of the sponsors of this event. You know, and first one of note on the list is the Honorable Order of the Kentucky Colonels, which, remember, is a title bestowed upon you by the governor. It's one of the highest titles a civilian can have bestowed upon them. And once you have that on you, you can become a part of the Honorable Order of Kentucky Colonels, which apparently isn't as honorable as it used to be because now they spend massive amounts of money sponsoring pride parades in Louisville. But I guess whatever you need to do to keep the governor signing off on people being a Kentucky colonel. Another sponsor was Yum Brands. So that's like KFC, Taco Bell, I believe Pizza Hut, and as such. Another person who sponsored the event was Ford and the United Auto Workers 862, who remember we just gave hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars to in order to build a battery plant in Hardin County because they just simply didn't have the money to do it themselves, but they do have the money to go ahead and sponsor these here Pride Festivals. We have GE, Norton Healthcare, which I mean, you know, someone's got to make money off all these surgeries, right? I mean, one healthcare group, at least, if not several, there's actually several, have to sponsor this event because it is a multi-billion dollar industry, dropping genitalia off, doing plastic surgeries and prescribing hormones and puberty blockers and all those pills. I mean, the aftercare, you know, transgenderism and this LGBTQ stuff, uh, not to mention the mental health industry surrounding it, lots of money there. It's big business for hospitals. So it's not really surprising that hospitals would be sponsoring this. You know, it's like a dentist sponsoring a uh, candy parade. Um, you know, let's get them uh, cavities so we can go ahead and profit off the work that has to be done in the future, much the same way. We have Derby City Gaming, 
We have U of L and U of L Nursing School, which keep in mind, University of Louisville is a public university that, of course, receives a fair bit of state funding. We also have Kroger, Tito's Vodka, Republic uh, Bank, Jefferson Community and Technical College. Once again, taxpayer-funded university receives uh, millions of dollars from the state every year. Part of that technical college, community and technical college system, they're receiving millions of dollars every year, and I guess they just simply have it to go ahead and just dump into this festival. Louisville Tourism sponsored the event, which of course receives local and state ta uh, state taxpayer funds. So what did these people sponsor? What do they have? Well, they had events like singing from Voices of Kentuckiana, an LGBTQ choir who is funded to the tunes of thousands of dollars from, you guessed it, your state tax dollars. They're funded through Kentucky's Council on the Arch, which is funded from an appropriation from the state budget. However, I will say this, at least the group putting on this year Pride Festival is aware of just how mentally ill most of their people and beliefs are, because this festival did make sure that they had a wellness center with mental health professionals. You know, because if you keep encouraging mental illness and delusion within your constituents, within the people who belong to your group, they continue to have greater and stronger and larger mental health issues. It's truly a shocker. I know. Now, when people ask me, what's the difference? What can we actually expect as a difference between Cameron and Bashir? Here's the one place where I think there actually could be a difference between Cameron and Bashir. Something to conceptualize and understand. Something where the legislature, though they could start passing some laws simply saying, hey, you can't spend money. Any taxpayer-funded entity, any entity receiving a dollar of tax dollars cannot be giving money to LGBTQ, DEI, or any of these groups in the same ways that they can't be given money to groups that would socially engineer on the other side. We just say, hey, look, our tax dollars, it is unfair for your tax dollars to be taken from you and then spent to forward social beliefs and ideas you don't even agree with. That's wrong, so we're not going to do that anymore. Now, if, if Cameron, they, they could pass laws about that, but a Cameron administration could also take part in this. Now, I don't think, I don't know if Cameron would even do that because I've never heard Cameron actually talk about this specifically, talk about cutting off funding to groups and departments that continue to give millions of our tax dollars to these lefty organizations and lefty social engineering projects. We don't have a legislature passing a law saying that they shouldn't do it. So why should we expect Cameron to do it unless he's going to talk about it? And that is a problem I've seen with the Cameron campaign. They could capitalize on this. He could go through and point out literally the millions, hundreds of millions, tens of hundreds of millions of our tax dollars being spent in this way, being spent on these things. And that is something even some of the most uh, uh, moderate people would look at. And they would say, look, you know, maybe I don't like these laws being passed about this or that or limiting whatever. But I tell you what. I certainly don't agree with millions upon tens of millions of our tax dollars being spent here while I've got to drive down a bumpy road. Now, cut an ad where a guy is driving down a road or a growl and they hit a bump. And every time, the, time they hit a bump, a thing comes up showing 10 million spent on this or 10 million spent on that. Simply in with saying, 
your roads are literally destroying your vehicles. But we do have tens upon hundreds of millions of dollars to spend on far left things like pride festivals. This should stop. That would be a great thing to message on. And I think messaging on that could really energize the base a whole lot. And speaking of energizing the base in the governor's race, uh, coming up, Andy Bashir has dropped a new Republicans vote for me ad slash video in the governor's race. This is a longer video, two minute video that I'm sure is going to get cut down into ads. Um, we're going to go over that right after this short break. So Amy Bashir has dropped a new video in a governor's uh, campaign, in the governor's campaign. We're going to take a listen and look at this. This is kind of like a Republicans uh, vote for me bipartisan video. Let's, uh, let's take a listen. Let's watch. I live in Boone County, Kentucky with my two daughters and my husband. I am a Republican and I am voting for Andy Bashir. I'm Carol Pike, mayor of Jeffersontown, Kentucky. Today, I made the decision to endorse Governor Bashir. I'm Alex Carter, uh, mayor of Nicholasville. I support Governor Bashir for re-election. I'm a Republican from Ohio County. I support Andy Bashir. He isn't Democrat and he isn't Republican. He is forward. As far as I'm concerned, he's a bipartisan governor. Andy Bashir has a track record of being bipartisan and working on legislation that's important no matter what your political party. On December the 10th, 2021, had the worst uh, tornadoes, at least in our lifetime. He was there to help us with those. Parties, Republican or Democrat, you know, at the end of the day, I think, want to move our community forward, just as Governor Bashir has moved the state forward. He's worked with our legislature on many uh, items, especially those of economic development and transportation. There's never been once that I haven't received a call back and a meeting with the governor. A meeting with the governor is not hard to do. He's been accessible to us. As a mom of two young daughters that are in an elementary school in public education here in Northern Kentucky, I think a governor that cares about education and puts investment in public education is really critical. If you are Republican or if you are Democrat, he just cares about moving the state forward. All right. So there you go. There is uh, his, you know, reach across the aisle, bipartisan Republicans vote for me at. You know, what's funny is um, I've actually spoken to all three of the elected Republicans in that video, the, the local elected Republicans in that video within the last year or two. Uh, of course, all running for state Senate in Jesmond County. I got to know many of the elected officials there. I saw Alex Carter many times. We sat down and spoke a few times. Uh, of course, I've observed him in city council setting at their meeting. Uh, you know, same with the other mayor. And while Alex Carter is a fine person, I don't think he really has too many super deep political convictions. Um, and the same is with most of these local party people. They are literally whatever party they need to be in order to win the general election. That's just kind of how it works. I'm not saying this to necessarily attack Alex Carter for his endorsement. He does what he does or uh, what have you. But many a times, especially local, even the judge executives, there's, there's not too much partisanship when it comes to the local things. And you pick your party um, based upon a lot of times what you think is going to win you in the general. It's just facts and matter. Because let me ask you this to all my listeners listening, and maybe you're a bad group to ask because you're going to be more involved, of course, in what's going on than most people. Uh, 
just because of the fact that you listen to this podcast, you may be paying more attention. But let me ask you this. Who did you vote for for your last city council race? Who did you vote for for magistrate? Who'd you vote for for judge executive? What is their exact name? And chances are you just voted for whoever had an R next to their name and walked out because that's what it means. You want to make sure you vote for the Republicans here, whatever party you need to be in order to fulfill that local politics, because the party platforms, the party positions don't necessarily shine through very well when you start talking about local issues. It's harder to detect when somebody passes a Democrat or Republican policy at a local issue. The only thing you know about is if they're spending thousands upon thousands of dollars on things like pride parades and festivals and, and fording those kinds of things. You know, something that's come before the fiscal court and Jasmine County is statue removal, you know, those types of niche kind of things they deal with. But when it comes to many of the partisan ideas, such as smaller spending and abortion and all those things, they kind of go out the window because in most these counties and cities, not the big ones, but the small local ones where these people come from, there is just really not enough money to go around in order to spend on those types of things. Um, that's just something that I've seen while watching these small towns. I mean, let's say that you're talking about roads and how to fund trash services and how to do sewers and those types of things. You just, you just don't have the money to waste, really. I mean, you know, maybe maybe a few times you see them doing wealth redistribution schemes, but it's not nearly on the same scale as we see at the state. And it's not enough Republicans, even at the state level, are against that, as we've seen. So why are these local politicians doing this? Well, uh, Judge David Johnston, the judge executive of Ohio County, remember y'all, judge executives are not legal judges. They are fiscal court judge, which is like your, your county council of sorts. So they're same as like a city council. And the judge executive is like the mayor of the county sort of to uh, explain that. But judge David Johnson, the judge executive of Ohio County clues us in and he clues us in with this whole tornado thing. Actually, I had about a two hour long conversation in David Johnson's office about six months ago while I was on the campaign trail. He's a very nice guy. Uh, I met with probably 30 judge executives and the meeting with him was probably one of the easiest and most pleasant ones I had. Now, I never went into any of these meetings asking for people's endorsements. Um, I never asked him, so I don't know how hard it is to get his endorsement because honestly, that's not how I campaign. I don't really campaign with endorsements um, because I don't think most people generally care. You make a post on Facebook. I'm not, how do you share that information? What's important to me is I sit down, I talk with people from the campaigning side, you know, as long as they tell their friends or family, people will ask them, hey, this is the guy I'd vote for. I'll take it, right? But, but. It's just, I, I just don't go for the public endorsements. It's not really how I campaign. I don't think they necessarily matter unless they're a big name. Um, what I cared about when I came into their area is I wanted to find out what was going on in their area. I spent a lot of time talking to them and zeroing in on what issues they're having and thinking of solutions. In this case, I was running for state treasurer. So what could the state treasurer do to help with some of these local problems that they're having? That is how I campaigned. And I take some pride in that. And while I lost both my elections, I was pretty close in my state Senate race. And in order to beat me, they had to outspend me five to one. A record amount was spent in a state Senate primary in that race. And they had an incumbent, which generally speaking, you should never have an incumbent spending, you know, five, six hundred thousand dollars in a state Senate primary. Uh, that's unheard of, but that's what happened.
And then in my state treasures race, I came in second out of three. I beat third place by almost 10 points. And he had spent almost three times as much as me in first place, spent about five times as much as me. And if I'm to be honest, I was a lot more concerned about that third place winner winning than I was the first place winner because the third place winner was absolutely a horrible Republican. And that's what I was more concerned about. So I didn't really, I never actually attacked the first place winner because He's not a bad guy. I think I'd be more active than him, but he's not a bad person. So despite always being outspent by massive amounts, you know, the winner, like said, in the state treasurer's race, you know, had to, had to outspend me almost five times again as much. So despite being losing, I've, they've always had to spend almost five times as much to beat me. And that, part of that is because I truly enjoy finding problems, offering solutions. I'm a different kind of candidate because I'm a different kind of political involvement. Um, that's why I do this podcast. I have a true passion for politics and local issues. And so with that stated, sitting down with Judge Johnston in Ohio County, and we started talking about Bashir. He came up and a few things were said. And one, he did say he really appreciated what he did with the tornadoes. And two was that Bashir was the kind of person and governor that you wanted to say on the good side of. I heard stories like this all across the state from county officials. They said, you want to play ball with Andy Bashir. You want to give him his photo ops, give him his kudos, let him take credit, and then he'll give you all the help in the world. But the minute you don't, you better watch out. One county, as I remember, uh, was telling me about how they didn't give Bashir the big check photo opportunity ceremony he requested. And so he simply never gave him the money for the sewer project that he had originally said he would because they wouldn't give him the photo ops. Millions of dollars being pulled from citizens simply because he didn't feel like his ego was appropriately stroked. However, we know that that, that is who Bashir. You can tell when you see these check ceremonies. He does the big old check like you won the lottery when he's coming out giving money to counties or cities for government projects like you won the lottery. And then he has the audacity to say it's from him and sign its name like it's his money when it has come from the taxpayers. That's who it came from. It's just government doing what government should. And he wants ceremonies and his check name and the big signatures. And it's, 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 it's what the money's for. I mean, the money isn't for funding building water and sewer and schools and road projects. Then what is it for? But you don't get your check back out. You don't get the money that's been taken from the constituents in your county back out to go to your projects unless you scratch Andy's back. And that may be just why all these mayors are doing this. They want the special treatment. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Andy Bashir giving them big projects and funding after the election if he wins because it's kind of a bribery of sorts of votes using our money. And this also means something else. In line with that, it means that they think that Amy Bashir will win and they want to be on his good side, or at least they don't think that if Cameron somehow does win, he's going to be very vindictive. But why do they think he would win? I mean, if you think it's real close and it's neck and neck, you wouldn't get involved. So why do they think he'll win? Well, we've gone over the polls. They're not looking good. The messaging and the general feeling on the ground for Cameron, it just isn't good. Honestly, it just, it doesn't look good. And you can be mad at me. I'm just being honest. A friend of mine who's a conservative, just not super politically involved, pointed this out. He says, look, I barely see Cameron ads. And when I do, simply put, Bashir's is better. You know, Cameron's uh, ads and Bashir's ads are simply different. Bashir's ad game is strong and Cameron's is lacking of 
oomph. It lacks content. It lacks real. He's not really saying anything in any of his ads. Now, I'm not going to say Bashir is either, but Bashir's been in office, so he doesn't have to. You see Cameron's running against a popular incumbent. Therefore, he has to point out to people where Bashir is failing, concrete, and then what Cameron will do differently than him to fix the issues. Right now, Cameron may be running ads pointing out that less people are working than when Bashir was took office, but then he says nothing about how he will fix that, what's causing the trend, and he will fix that. And, and those things are driving people to think that Cameron needs to pick it up. I mean, when you're taking on somebody like Bashir, your campaign has got to be firing on all cylinders. You got to nurture your grassroots. You got to take no votes as just a given, and you got to be extremely organized as a campaign. I'm just not seeing that right now from the Cameron campaign, and neither are the Republicans in this ad, and neither are a lot of Republicans throughout the state, or especially these Republicans in this ad, they wouldn't have agreed to do this ad out of fear of annihilating the next governor coming into the office. That's just my humble opinion. It doesn't look good for Cameron that these people are doing this. They are risking alienating the governor coming in if Bashir doesn't win. So they must be pretty confident that Bashir will win. Now, that doesn't mean that it's over for the Cameron campaign. They can get it together. They can get organized. They can get their messaging better on point. They can start firing on all cylinders. They can bother to reach out to the grassroots throughout the state and nurture them. It's not too late, but they don't have much longer to turn it around. And I don't know if his campaign is even aware of the issues they're having. I don't know if it's all happy talk out of them. I don't know if they're seeing simply they're polling a lot more and getting a lot different results than all the public polls are showing. I don't know. But I certainly don't think it's a foregone conclusion that Bashir wins. Cameron can win, but I think he does have to turn around. He's got to start running a concrete conservative campaign, and he's got to be reaching out to the grassroots. He's got to stop taking votes for granted, and he's got to fire up that base with concrete plans and ideas of things he will do. Things like, I will stop your money. Tens of millions of dollars being spent funding this leftist agenda. Here's examples. I will stop it. Here's where Bashir is corrupt. I will stop it. Here he is doing these big check ceremonies with your money. I promise I will never do that because I recognize tax dollars are coming from you. My ego isn't so big that I need to sign away your money and make sure there's a ceremony for it. That would be some good ad game. But we'll see what happens. Well, y'all, that's what I have time for today on the Andrew Cooperwriter Show. I thank y'all so, so much for joining me. We'll see you back here tomorrow at one o'clock. Have a great rest of your day.